a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. From Jordan Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the Recruiting Trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it. War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey everybody, it's Brandon Marcello. Thanks for joining me on the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Um, it is early week, and as we do with these early week podcasts, I'd like to answer your questions instead of just spouting off and talking about what happened, because you guys know what happened. And later in the week, we try to do a roundtable or at least have one guest on to kind of go further in depth with Auburn Athletics, especially when it gets closer to the weekend and Auburn's played its midweek game uh, instead of just going over what happened this past weekend. Of course, this past week, Auburn basketball went 2-0 and with a big coming come-from-behind wins. It's, it's their MO now, come-from-behind uh, against Arkansas, forced overtime there, and then... They came back from eight down with 86 seconds left to beat LSU in overtime at Auburn Arena. Um, I think what's most interesting to me about all this, um, which is something you guys probably aren't really paying attention to because a lot of you just seem to be worried about rankings for whatever reason um, because they they don't matter right now. But, um, you know, KenPalm.com puts together a lot of, like, you know, advanced analytics and they can he has an analytic and they're called luck well, Auburn's number one in luck having won uh, according to to his whatever you want to call it system 16.4 percent of their games have been the results of of luck of wins um making them number one in the nation um I guess I could do the math let, let, let's let's figure out the math on that <laughs> shall we one plus one equals two now um okay so auburn has 21 wins i'm really bad at math so what he's saying is, is that auburn about three three and a half of its wins are luck which you know what they came back Three of their four victories in the SEC have been comebacks from double digits. Um, the last four they have trailed by at least seven. Um, heck, against Furman, they trailed by, what, 14? Before coming back and forcing overtime in that game to win. So, I guess you could say, yeah, that's maybe a little luck in there. Um but anyway, Auburn number 11 in the AP, somewhere around there in the coaches' poll. Net rankings, which is what matters, is number 15 for Auburn. They jumped four spots, I think, since last week, um, which is pretty good. Um, more importantly, though, the NCAA 
selection committee on Saturday, before Saturday's games, in fact, released their top 16 teams, and Auburn was on the four-seed line uh, as their number 13 team overall, and that was before they beat LSU. So they're probably still about 13 or 12 going into this week with in games against Alabama, which Alabama beat Auburn by, what, 19 when Auburn was on the road? I was out of action at that moment. At that time, I didn't watch the game. And then, of course, um, they have to go to Mizzou uh, on Saturday. Mizzou, uh, under Conzo Martin, has notoriously been a very difficult team for Auburn to face, just like South Carolina has been under Frank Martin um, for the most part. So, uh, interesting week ahead. Uh, By the way, our recruiting experts – uh, Jason Caldwell and Keith Niebuhr are on the road for the next few days traversing the Southeast and, and checking in on some Auburn recruiting targets. Um, and you should check it out at auburn.247sports.com. They're doing kind of like a running diary of their road trip and who they're talking to, who they're meeting uh, during their travels. Uh, unlike anything other, anything else that's going on out there when it comes to Auburn coverage, go, go check that out at auburn.247sports.com. Signing day was last week, but that uh, that doesn't end at everything. Looking ahead to 2021 and and further. So it's a Q&A episode. As I mentioned, we usually do these early in the week, as you all know. And uh, so let's just get right into it. You guys, I hadn't really prepared for these, obviously. I'm just pulling the questions off of Twitter. And so I might have to do some research while we talk <laughs> on my computer. If your question is too tough, which I'm a dummy, so of course it's going to be too tough. All right, first question comes from Skyler. Where does Javon McCormick rank, rank among SEC point guards? I don't know, probably middle of the pack. I mean, listen, Auburn for whole month of January was like a team without a point guard. And McCormick's really turned it on these last two weeks. Um, though even in the Ole Miss win, you know, a couple weeks ago when the the stretch started, he had nine turnovers, uh, career high nine turnovers. So I put him in the middle of the pack. He had a great game, you know, against LSU. Um, hit the game winning shot, as you guys know. Hit three three pointers, I believe, in a span of like twenty seconds against LSU back when Auburn was like trailing there in the final two minutes of the game of regulation. Um, He's he's high and low, guys. There's like no in between for him. It seems like so far, so average those all out. I think he's kind of near the middle of the pack among SEC point guards. But when he's good, he's really 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 good. And when he's bad, he's pretty bad. Uh, Matthew Johnson asks: Does college football incorporate any of the XFL rules as soon as this fall? Uh, no, one they can't. Uh, they have to go through a whole process with the football rules committee and 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 all that. Um, things have to be presented to them, written out. No, so that's that's not going to happen this fall. Could it in the future? It's possible. And I'm sure you're specifically discussing uh, the kickoff rules where the teams line up like 10 yards from each other, the kicker kicks it off, and then you can't um, – start running after the kick, the, the, the kick catcher until like three seconds later. And what it's kind of provided is it's, it's actually, I, I thought it's a pretty good idea. I, I didn't think much of it when I heard about it, but then watching it, 
it's almost like teams have to like run block. They have to, it's very interesting. They're like putting together like run blocking schemes um, to open things up for their kick returner. And it's in the process probably made it safer on kick return because you guys, you don't have guys running at full speed, full tilt toward a kick returner just as they're starting to get going. Um, so it evens things out a little bit from that standpoint and you're going to see more returns and it's a lot of more strategy um, with the blocking schemes and how teams attack that. So I'm interested to see how that goes. And I don't know if, I mean, I'd almost think the NFL would incorporate that before any other league, but then again, the NFL would sit there and scoff at it because it's the XFL or whatever. And college football, I, I just don't see college football making any drastic changes like that. You know, I'm still on board with the, they're probably, they're probably going to have to get rid of kickoffs at some point in the next 10, 15, 20 years or do something with it. And, you know, if this XFL thing works out for the next few years and they keep doing this kickoff this way, I'd be interested to see the studies on injuries related to kickoffs in the XFL compared to the NFL or college and see if it's actually safer. And if it's safer, you know, listen, science wins at the end of the day when it comes to sports um, safety. So if that's the case, the NFL and college football can't sit there and scoff, go, well, that's the XFL just trying to do something to be different and be like, no, we're doing it to be safer. But we'll see. We'll see if the numbers kind of bear that out in the future. But it's n- nothing big is going to change coming up this fall because the XFL is doing it. You know, like their whole extra point system and everything, that, that's not happening uh, in any league. Uh, Mike Dennis. Mike Den 97505206. That sounds like a bot name. And sure enough, this response sounds like a bot or a fan who doesn't understand anything. Y'all got lucky and hit some late threes. Live by the three and you'll die by the three when it matters. Uh, I guess he's referring to the Auburn basketball team. Well, I, I'm not on the basketball team, sir, or robot. Um, live by the three, die by the three. I Remember, what, what was Bruce Pearl's quote about that like last year? Like That's the dumbest cliche he's, he's ever heard when it comes to basketball. I mean, who ca- uh, okay, cap. Oh man, we're not going to get political on this show. This is just coming from a political account. Looks like Capital City Young Republicans. Who is Auburn's leading rusher in 2020, and what is your best bet for Auburn's record heading into the off week on October 24th, 2020? Oh my gosh, that's a lot of things. Uh, oh my good. Let, let me look at the the schedule first. How many games is before then? And who they're facing? Man, <laughs> it's February of 2020, guys. We're asking, what's the record before the bye week? Okay, all right. When when you talk about the leading rusher, um, DJ Williams or Mark Anthony Richards. Okay, so the other part of your question, uh, what's Auburn's record heading into the bye week? That's on October 24th. Auburn has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven straight games before that. Um, Auburn opens with Alcorn State on September 5th at Jordan-Hare Stadium. That's a win. Auburn plays North Carolina. 
and the uh, Chick-fil-A kickoff classic, even though it's not the kickoff game on September 12th. I'm going to say that's a win. That's going to be a tough game. At Ole Miss, I'm going to say that's a win. Southern Miss, that's a win. Kentucky at Jordan-Hare, that's a win. At Georgia, I'm going to say it's a loss. Texas A&M, I'm going to say that's a coin flip. So Auburn at best, at least in my eyes, what I have in there is six and one, maybe five and two. Yeah. That puts Auburn in line to have another 9-10 win season if you look at the rest of the schedule. But what do I know? It's February. <laughs> I don't know what the defense is really going to look like. I mean, I have an idea for the defense, but I have no idea what the offense is going to look like. No one does. The offensive line is a complete mystery with four or five starters gone and them trying to figure out who's going to be their guys. I mean, that is a lot to figure out. We'll figure out a little bit more after these commercial messages. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Matt asks, why is Seton Hall ranked above us? Uh, I guess you're speaking about the basketball poll. And listen, a lot of teams are ranked ahead of Auburn. Ten teams, in fact, in the AP poll. Um, you know, I could go in depth with this stuff. Maybe I, sh maybe I should go in depth with it. You know, quadrant one wins and all that type of stuff. You know, listen, Auburn's four and two against quadrant one teams, which is very good. But then you look at like at a team like Kansas, which, you know, you can't compare Kansas and Auburn at this point. But you look at Kansas and Kansas is like 10 and three against quadrant run teams. So what's hurting Auburn is that strength of schedule, at least its opponents in the non-conference season. And then the SEC just not being as strong as it was last year, the year before that. Um, Auburn's the highest ranked SEC team in any of the polls, including the net rankings, which Auburn is at number 15. And so what you have is a lot of SEC teams beating up on each other and they're just st sticking around in the thirties and forties. You know, you don't have a couple of dominant teams, even though, I mean, here, I don't want to go too much in the future, but like to me watching LSU, LSU is, LSU is better than Auburn, like on neutral court. I don't think anybody can argue against that. Auburn beat them, yes, but LSU was up the entire game pretty much and by a healthy margin. Obviously, Auburn came back. Kudos to them. They've been doing that all year. 
But if that game was played on neutral court, Auburn would have lost that game because that was a little bit of a different comeback compared to these other ones uh, in, in past past games, past couple of weeks. Um, and I think Kentucky overall is probably going to be a better team by, uh, than Auburn by the end of the season because it's got a better point guard and it's – you know, listen, Auburn's defense did an incredible job on Nick Richards uh, in the middle of the paint. Um, but he's a guy who could take over a few games. Austin Wiley, he could take over from a standpoint of rebounding, but I don't see him being a guy that all of a sudden breaks out and scores 28 points in a game. You know what I mean? Um, so anyway, why is Seton Hall ranked above Auburn? I haven't seen Seton Hall play this year, so I couldn't tell you. Also, I don't have a vote in the polls, and as I said, the, the polls don't matter. The only thing that matters are the net rankings and because that's what the NCAA committee uses to help guide them uh, in seeding selections. And as I said, Auburn, after this weekend, is number 15 in the net rankings, and before those updated net rankings came out, the selection committee had Auburn at 13, which shows you that they have a little bit more respect in Auburn, just slightly, than, say, the polls or even the net rankings. Um, but as far as Seton Hall, I, I I would like to hear your question more fleshed out. Like, tell me why you believe Seton Hall should not be above Auburn and why it's such an issue for you, I guess is more or less what I want to hear. Because, I, I I mean, just saying, hey, you know, I don't like this. <laughs> that doesn't, you know, it's just not a... I, I need more. I need more. All right, I'm moving on from that. I, I don't know what to tell you. Carson Haygood, always asking questions on here, asks... Oh, another running back question. If you had to pick a three-man rotation at running back week one of next season, who would it be, and do you think it would change by Iron Bowl week? Tank or Mark Anthony Richards are who I'm thinking about. So you want me to give you some confirmation on what you're believe, believing? Um, uh, oh, my God. Again, it's February. <laughs> and Tank Bigsby and Mark Anthony Richards have yet to take a single snap as college football players week one i'm gonna say the rotation starts with dj williams mark anthony richards and tank are in there and involved probably harold joiner a little bit too sean shivers is a change of pace running back too i think it's going to be like a three or four man thing and it also depends really to be quite honest with how much chad morris gets these running backs involved in the passing game and some other things and from that standpoint if gus malzahn's allowing uh, Chad Morris to call a different offense and scheme. It's a lot of ifs, and no one has the answer. Uh, Justin asks, I love this effort. I love the effort the basketball team plays with, good defense and swag. What is the ceiling? Is the Elite Eight too high? Thank you for continued effort of the podcast. I'm a 24-7 subscriber, but the weekly podcasts are wonderful. Well, thanks, Justin, uh, and, and thank you for being a Auburn 24-7 sports subscriber. Um, yeah, I think he hit on the head. They play good. Here's the thing. Like, you look at their numbers. They're not playing great defense, but they're playing great defense in moments. Like, teams will go three, four, five minutes without scoring, and they clamp down when they have to. 
Um, usually they shut down their top, the leading top scorer uh, of the team they're facing. Actually, here of late, what's been interesting is they're allowing, you know, they're one of their opponents to score like an outrageous amount of points, you know, whether it was, uh, uh, you know, what was it, Mason Jones's name at Arkansas scoring 40 or whatever, and then, and then LSU with 30 point score. Um, but Auburn's stepping up in the right moments to be able to play those games. Um, my concern for Auburn when they get on neutral court and then they get back to these road games here, and obviously they've been winning right now, but when they get back to these road games and on the neutral court, can they keep the offense going? You know, we talk about these slow starts, but there's also lulls throughout the game they get into. They got to keep the offense going. As far as their ceiling, is the Elite Eight too high? Listen, I mean, I think Auburn's a p- potentially a second weekend team, yeah. So that puts them in the conversation of possibly reaching the Elite Eight. Um, do I think that happens? Dude, I don't know. Um, like I said, unless Javon McCormick keeps playing out of his mind and like a guy comes off the bench like Devin Cambridge and gives them an extra spark, I just don't see it with this team. I think a lot of people are forgetting that this Auburn team – just a few weeks ago, lost back-to-back games by an average of 20, 20 and a half, 21 points. They lost to Florida by 22. And Florida's not good this year. They lost to Alabama by 19. And Alabama's not good this year. So this team is definitely capable of just going splat on the road. Now, credit Auburn. I mean, this, this run is incredible they're on right now. They're not giving up. And like I agree with you, they play good defense when they have to, and they've got some good swag. they got that swag going on. But let's not erase what has happened just in recent history. They lost by not just double digits, but got blown out by Alabama and Florida, two middle of the pack to bottom half of the SEC teams. Um, I'm interested to see how Auburn reacts against Alabama Wednesday, even though that game is at home and Auburn should be favored to win that game by like nine or 10 points. But uh, it's still the same matchup, the same matchup problems that Auburn had at Alabama. But I don't think Auburn will be as cold as it was at Alabama a few weeks ago. But we'll, we'll see. It's why they play the games, guys. You know, you look at all these, you know, I put up these projections from Ken Palm and ESPN's Basketball Power Index and Real-Time RPI. In fact, Real-Time RPI has Auburn at number two nationally. Can you imagine if the NCAA Selection Committee was still utilizing the RPI? Auburn's number two behind Kansas. Um, Anyway, um, I I just think this team is like, like, listen, it's college basketball this season. If you've been watching it, any team is capable of almost beating any team. I mean, you've seen Stephen F. Austin, you know, beating a what was it, Duke? Um, who beat Kentucky at Kentucky? I'm forgetting all the teams, but Kentucky and Duke went down to lowly teams. Yeah, and you look at just this past weekend, North Carolina and Duke. North Carolina should have beaten Duke, um, and Duke ended up winning it. And Duke is, I mean, North Carolina's. You're like, well, that's a. But if you've been paying attention, I mean, North Carolina's terrible this year. They're like 10 and 12 or 10 and 13. They got three wins in the ACC. They're like three and nine in the ACC. I guess Chumo Kiki just completely (laughs) ruined them last year, destroyed them. And then uh, they haven't bounced back since. 
Uh, Johnny Ben Marco asks, why are people upset about Parasite winning Best Picture? The movie is insanely good. Uh, I, I don't know, Johnny. I haven't seen it. Um, I didn't watch the Oscars Sunday night. It's probably the first time in several years I haven't. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen it. When you, I guess when you have a kid, you don't have time to watch pictures, especially movies, especially ones that are, if they're out on video, that you can watch in front of the kid that are that might be rated R or whatever. Um, they, I'm trying. I don't even know who all the pictures were that were nominated, but my I'm sure I easily guess here that my own, the only picture I saw that was up for a handful of Oscars was Joker and the Irishman. I watched the Irishman on Netflix late one night by myself and was bored. I mean, I, I know what they were going for. Um, it reminded me a lot about, of, uh, once upon a time in America, um, about someone going through age. Um, but, uh, that movie's so much better than <laughs> the Irishman. I, the, the, um, special effects in that to de-age everybody other than Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci's de-aging was pretty good. And so, and so was, uh, Pacino's to an extent, but man, Robert De Niro's de-aging was so weird to look at. And there were scenes in it where he's like a younger guy and he's beating up a guy and he's moving like an old man. It was so awkward and kind of cringy. And the movie's too long. I know what they're going for, but it was too long. And I know, I see why a bunch of studios pass on making that movie. Cause one is going to cost a lot of money and two, it wasn't really that good. The script wasn't all that great. Um, anyway, so I saw that in the Joker. Joker's a good movie, but it's not best picture. Joaquin Phoenix, I guess, deserved to win best actor, but I don't know who else was nominated and how they did. Um, Joaquin Phoenix was pretty amazing in that role. The movie wasn't amazing. It was good to above good. The Irishman was mediocre to me. It was forgettable. I can't believe it was a, it was nominated for as many awards as it was. And I saw they got it got shut out, which is probably about right. I did see that the score for the Joker won, which I think. I mean, I don't know what else was nominated again, but the uh, the score for that like made that movie with Joaquin Phoenix's performance and that music. I mean that that movie would have been probably could have been terrible. I mean, as a movie, like if you don't do it just right with the right actor. And cinematography, the cinematography was beautiful in that movie. I don't know if it was nominated for that, but it should have been. Cinematography in that movie was beautiful. But uh, um, yeah, the Parasite thing, I don't know. I don't. Even, I, I haven't seen the movie. I, mean, I, I guess I need to since uh, it's won all those Oscars. But I just don't have time or the place to do it. I can't watch a rated R movie um, with the kid around. Uh, James A. Thompson asks, you recently discussed the crowd at Auburn Arena. Still think it's a struggle to get everyone involved other than the students? Been given access to any coaches or athletes to be the subject of some exclusive in-depth pieces? Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, now, the crowds have been pretty amazing these last couple of games. Um, you know, the scholarship section still has some issues with getting up when they need to get up. Um, the LSU environment is still pretty loud even when they were down. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, Kentucky environment was amazing. Um, have been given access to coaches or athletes from exclusive in-depth pieces. Nope. I uh, requested one a week ago, 
two weeks ago and I was straight up denied. Um, I have another piece in mind. I'm just waiting on the right time to request it. We'll see if anything happens with that. And have I ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? I have, and I lived. Rusty Owens asks, From your perspective, what needs to change in order for the football offensive line problems to be fixed in a more permanent way? Uh, recruit better players. That's not a knock on anybody. Just recruit better players. Guys you can develop. It's as simple as that. Jared Sinski asks, Safe to say Samir Dowdy and Javon McCormick got out of their slumps? I mean, they certainly broke out of them. Goodness gracious. Dowdy McCormick, like someone asked him, like, you guys uh, like Bryce Brown, Jared Harper now? They're like, no, we're Samir and Javon. I mean, they, they played tremendous uh, against LSU. <clears throat> and the thing we don't talk a lot about, even though we were earlier in the season, is just Javon McCormick on defense. He's been great. One thing I would say to Samir, you know, he's a Philadelphia kid, and he always likes to use that Philadelphia swagger, and, hey, I'm not going to back down from anybody. But after you hit a three-pointer or whatever to help your team go up pretty healthy in the uh, – in overtime, go go play good defense. Make sure you uh you know shut them down because later Samir Dowdy had the turnover that gave LSU the lead in overtime. They erased that seven point lead. Sometimes it's better to celebrate after the game's in hand. <laughs> but I, I I see why he was doing that after hitting a three. I mean, played the roof was going off the place. Uh, Sarah Cat asks, is it ever going to stop raining? And will the Iron Bowl trophy be presented Wednesday night or Alabama find a way out of it? You know, I've seen a lot of people saying, hey, Alabama's always trying to find a way to skip out of it. Correct me if I'm wrong. The only time they skipped out of it was 2013, right? So in spring of 2014 at a basketball game when there was snow. And I remember it was, it was that big snow storm that went through. Um, or wait, maybe it wasn't. Anyway, there was snow. And I remember them saying that the roads were icy and everything, which they were in spots. But we had a when I was working for a different publication at the time, we had Alabama beat writers come down, and they said it wasn't a problem for them. And the roads are pretty clear. But you know, earlier in the day, it was dicey. So I understand why they would make, um, you know that 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 say, hey, we're not going to risk the lives of our school student president to drive down, sing the fight song. Here's the trophy, but we, we're not going to have the kids drive down. Um, I mean, listen, it would have to be a an, an tremendous uh, an excuse to get out of it this time. But it, but they they came back in two thousand spring of two thousand eighteen, right? If I recall, um, I remember shooting film of it. So my whole thing is this: they they shouldn't. I understand the trophy; it's supposed to be for sportsmanship, and that's why they do it in basketball season. But let's face it, the reason why they were really presenting that thing during basketball games was to get people to go to the basketball games. <laughs> let's face it. But going to basketball games isn't a problem at Auburn or Alabama really anymore for that reason. They've got some excitement brewing at Auburn and Alabama in basketball. So they should have that trophy on the sideline during every Iron Bowl and when the winning team keeps it or goes over and takes it after the game. Like any rivalry game, this whole idea of them not getting, not being able to be presented it until the next February is ridiculous to me. Is it not ridiculous to you guys? I mean, for example, they go through these recruiting weekends or whatever, and I'm pretty sure the trophy's not there. The first time they get the trophy is 
when the student president comes down, right? Or maybe I'm mistaken there. Maybe I should look that in, look into that. But here's my thing also. If the if Auburn already has the sportsmanship trophy, why are we doing this whole thing in February anyway? Keep the trophy on the sidelines and let the team get the trophy then. During the game, after the game. I, I, I just don't get it. And when's it going to stop raining? Uh, I don't know. Steve Simpson asked two questions. How impressive was it to beat LSU without Daniel Purifoy? And why is Auburn still the lowest ranked team with less than three losses? Here we go. I know the rankings don't matter now, but just curious about the thinking behind it. Steve, I don't know what everybody else is thinking. I don't. There's 60-something AP voters. I don't know what to tell you. Um, It's about resume and quality of wins, strength of schedule, and all that stuff, at least when you look at net rankings. That's why Auburn's 15th in that. Um, Was it impressive to be LSU without Dan Gell? Certainly, because I think Dan Gell is underrated as a defender and especially would have been helpful uh, in the front court when – Anthony McLemore and Wiley were getting uh, into foul trouble. You go, hey, well, Dan Jell's not a center. No, but he can help in the front court with defense. Um, and he, really, to me, he's their best pure shooter. Um, I've said that before. So, uh, yeah, it was big for them to win that game without Dan Jell Purifoy coming, down, coming back from 15 down. Uh, CFB Manis Manifesto asks, happy with all the Oscar winners? Uh, yeah, again, I, I didn't watch the Oscars. I know... Parasite won Best Picture and Best Director, right? Or and uh, Joaquin Phoenix won Best Actor. Lord Dern won Supporting Actress, I guess. And then uh, Renee Zellweger won for I didn't even know a movie that exi- didn't even know the movie existed for Best Actress. Brad Pitt won for Best Supporting Actor. I still haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so I don't know. I, am I happy? I don't know <laughs> with the Oscar winners. I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen many of those movies. Uh, awesome Tigers ask, what are Auburn's chances of landing Jalen Green? Is there any news about when he will announce his decision? Uh, Jalen Green, of course, the big time basketball prospect. Uh, you know, listen, I don't cover basketball recruiting, but I heard there was rumors that he might be waiting till uh, the McDonald's All-American game to announce. I think Auburn's chances are pretty good. Uh, Zachary Dacry asks, what did you think of Birds of Prey? Uh, didn't see it. Not sure if I will in theaters. Um, you know, I read the Hollywood Reporter and other websites. I guess, like, people were expecting it to make $55 million during its open weekend and only made $33 million. So apparently it's been a, it's already a failure. I don't think anybody was interested in a sequel, even though it's not a sequel, but it looks like the sequel, at least in spirit, to Suicide Squad. And that movie was terrible. Uh, Chase, the CEO, asks, let's face it, Auburn's recent success on the court has many of us savvy football fans following hoops for the very first time. Can you please give us the one-on-one version of the NCAA tournament selection process, seeding, how it works, and why it matters if we are a four-seed? It's it's basically this. If you guys follow the College Football Selection Committee, um, this weekend, this past weekend, the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee released their initial list of the top 16 seeds. Auburn was among them. It was number 13, which lines up at the four-seed line. Auburn's potentially up to the three-seed line now, depending on how the committee would look at it uh, moving forward. Auburn, of course, has got to keep winning games, but after beating LSU, um, uh, I would think they'd be near that three-seed line. Um, Now, the one-on-one version of it, when it gets down to championship weekend, conference tournament weekend, the committee gets together. Um, they start watching games together. They're all responsible 
these individuals, by the way, um, of watching games on their own throughout the season, of course. But conference tournament week, like the the last weekend, they're all together watching games. Um, and the thing is, though, with those games, like not really much changes with the bracket um, with seeding in those conference tournament championships, at least historically here the last couple of few years. What changes is, you know, the at-large spots. Not the at-large spots, excuse me. Um, well, yeah, the at-large spots. If you're a team that's trying to get in, you get to the championship game or you win two games or three games and you get a lower seed and finally get in the tournament. And then, of course, the conference champions who get in. That could affect things, especially for a league if there was a league with, let's say, San Diego State. You know, um, you know, they're going to get in the NCAA tournament no matter what. But if they were to lose their conference tournament, that gives that conference two, maybe three, who knows, whatever, uh, selections. Um, so that affects things. But anyway, they sit there, they watch those games, they get together. You know, Saturday, they kind of formulate what the bracket's going to look like um, going into Sunday championship weekend day. And things are pretty much set. I mean, in fact, if I recall last year, you know, when Auburn beat Tennessee in the SEC Tournament Championship, I mean, Auburn's seeding was pretty much set, win or lose, uh, for the SEC after the SEC Tournament. So, um, and why does it matter if Auburn's a four seed? You know, listen, being a four seed or higher is a pretty good spot to be in come tournament time because – Obviously, you open up with the 13 seed. Um, you want you avoid that dreaded 5-12 matchup, which is where it's been the most common upsets over the years. The, the number five losing to the number 12 seed. Um, also, um, you know you don't want to be an eight seed. You don't want to be a nine seed because you're one of those. Your very next game, you got to face a number one seed. You know if you win, and and I mean you can get to the Sweet 16, but it pretty much kills you um so four seats good three seats obviously very very good but as far as importance and how it all comes together that, that's kind of how it is i know it's a very dirty look and raw look at it but you know based off the top of my head that's kind of how it goes um but pay attention to the net rankings don't pay attention to rpi don't pay attention to what Kim palm ranks auburn or the rpi ranks auburn pay attention to what the net rankings have auburn because that's what's really going to matter and helps influence uh, the NCAA tournament. That's what they utilize. They look at the quadrant one wins, which Auburn's four and two against, quadrant two and quadrant three, which Auburn's undefeated. Uh, but those quadrant one games, big, big decider in things, especially when they look at resume. So anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I've been Brandon Marcello. I'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I'm a I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. 
A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.